Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. This week, we're looking at the signs of the times with Barry Stagner and examining the critical dilemma facing our churches. Please help us spread the word about these great programs by inviting friends and family to tune in to Watchmen on the Wall. We are on almost 700 radio signals each day, as well as on OnePlace.com, SermonAudio.com, and as a daily podcast. Take Watchmen on the Wall with you by downloading our free mobile app. Visit your app store and type the letters SWRC in the search bar. The SWRC mobile app has hundreds of archive programs as well as the latest program available to you. The SWRC mobile app. Download it today. Friends, where are critical theory and the social justice movement taking us? Critical theory and its expression in fields such as critical race theory are having a profound impact on our culture. Author Neil Shinvey is here to share what he believes are the implications for the church and for society. In the last several years, critical theories have invaded government, education, churches, and even homes. The confusion, division, new semantics, and outright cultural upheaval are baffling to those who don't know what's behind these worldviews. According to authors Neil Shinvey and Pat Sawyer, every Christian, whether liberal or conservative, is being tugged by the swift ideological current of their surroundings. We may not even notice we are adrift. They go on to warn, don't allow yourselves to get slowly drugged into apostasy and deconstruction. Here with me the next two days to discuss the important book, Critical Dilemma, is author Neil Shenvey. Dr. Shenvey, thank you for joining me on the program today. Well, thank you for inviting me. You have a Ph.D. in theoretical chemistry. How did you get involved in writing along these kinds of lines and interested in researching and writing about these kinds of things. It must have been a fascinating journey. It was. So I was interested in apologetics uh, soon after becoming a Christian. I became a Christian in graduate school at UC Berkeley, and I wanted to share the gospel with my friends, my colleagues, fellow intellectuals and academics and scholars. So I began studying apologetics, learning how to argue for God's existence, for the truth of the Christian gospel, of the truth of the Bible. And I wrote my first book a few years ago with Crossway, entitled Why Believe, and it basically treated those same standard historical apologetic arguments. Well, around that time, I think all of us noticed something going on in the culture. It's around the time of the rise of Black Lives Matter. Now, I was and am pretty apolitical. I don't get really involved in politics. But something was going on that was beyond politics. I couldn't understand why these people that I knew personally, public Christian figures, would begin spouting the language of social justice and then eventually drift further and further into progressivism and even into apostasy. And I couldn't connect the dots. Well, around that time, providentially, I met my co-author, Dr. Pat Sawyer, who was getting a PhD in this critical theory stuff, uh, critical pedagogy, precisely. And when he told me what he was studying, you know, the, the light bulb went off in my head, and I said, oh, this is what I'm seeing in the culture. And that was, again, five or six years ago. We began collaborating, uh, reading and writing and speaking, and helping to educate Christians about what was going on in our culture and how it was being transformed by these critical ideas. And that's what we're going to dive into. And let's take a step back before we jump into the great content that your book discusses. 
The subtitle of the book is The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology, Implications for the Church and Society. So it feels like we're going to open a can of worms by mentioning this subject matter. How can we approach this respectfully? How can we approach it intelligently and discussing these kinds of topics without just getting into a shouting match or getting off into Republican versus Democrat and political divides and all that? How do we navigate these difficult waters? I think we have to start by really understanding the ideas that we're going to critique eventually. So the first half of our book is all about understanding what critical social theories are teaching, what critical theorists believe. And really, even at the end of that section in our book, we devote a whole chapter to the positive insights that critical theorists sometimes have into our culture. We don't want to create a straw man. We want people to understand that some of the things that they say are actually true, and we can affirm those as Christians, especially if people are being, we have to ask, why are people attracted to these ideas in the first place? And the answer is because they do contain some small elements of truth. That's the bait on the end of the hook. So that's a big part of having good conversations is really understanding these ideas. And then also we have a whole chapter in our book devoted to how we got here historically. The fact is that our nation has had some terrible racist history in it. We can be honest about that as Christians. This nation, as wonderful as it is, is not our ultimate home. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. So we can be honest about the good and the bad of our nation's history. And some of the bad uh, is, is related to racism and white supremacy in our past and its ongoing legacy today. And again, many Christians get sucked into this very dangerous, we're going to argue, worldview or pseudo-religion because they're being taught about slavery and Jim Crow and the Black Codes or various racial atrocities in our history for the very first time. And because of that, they treat these sources like they're divine oracles, like they're prophets, mm. rather than being treated as just fallible human beings who often are operating from a very sub-biblical or anti-Christian perspective. We do all that in the first half of our book, and we try to show people that you don't have to choose, we say. We don't, you don't choose between racism and critical race theory. You can reject both. You have to reject both as a Christian. And the same goes for all kinds of actual injustices. You know, abortion is a terrible injustice in our nation. Mm -hmm. There is such, and it's systemic. It's, it's built into our laws, built into our culture. And so the idea that there can be systemic injustice is also true. Again, abortion is one of those. Mm. And so we want to point out that, yeah, critical theorists often will highlight the idea that sin or injustice can be systemic, but they'll misidentify where it exists. <laughs> they would wow. see, say, abortion as a good thing, whereas we would say, no, it's an evil thing. So again, we are very careful not to create straw men and to let critical theorists speak for themselves before even attempting to critique these ideas from a biblical perspective. And that's so very important, the way that you do that. And I love the fact that it was very well researched. You're not, as you say, creating straw men or just pulling things off of this resource or that resource or so-and-so said that so-and-so said that so-and-so said. But do you have lots of well-researched and documentation to show that these are the actual arguments? This is exactly their logical progression that they take in approach to these kinds of things. So why do you think the ideas at the heart of this woke movement are so dangerous to our culture today? One of the big reasons that they have operates as a worldview, that's a, the first right off the bat, is mm -hmm. that 
these ideas are functioning as a lens through which people are understanding all of reality. So that Christianity gives you a worldview, too. It gives you a way to think about all reality. So God created us. We rebelled against God. We can be redeemed through Jesus. And the ultimate goal of history is that Jesus will return and restore all things. So this narrative is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the Christian narrative. Mm -hmm. Well, critical theory offers an alternate meta-narrative, an alternate way of viewing reality. It starts with oppression. The problem that we have is not primarily sin. The problem is that various groups have seized power and are oppressing other groups. Then how do we solve that problem, that fundamental human problem? The answer is through liberation. We have to be activists. We have to stand in solidarity with marginalized groups. We have to divest ourselves from privilege. And the end goal is the promised land of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We, mm. want, we want to overturn the oppressor and oppressed categories by dismantling the systems and structures which perpetuate social injustice. That's an alternate way of viewing reality, and you can't really have two competing worldviews in your head. They're going to conflict. And a great example of this is how this oppressor-oppressed binary does not just treat race. It also treats things like class, sexuality, gender identity, physical ability, colonial status, and a host of other identity markers. So if you buy into critical social theory, you have to swallow the entire package. So you have mm. to view not just say whites as oppressors and people of color as oppressed. You also have to accept that men oppress women and straight people oppress LGBTQ people and cisgendered people oppress transgender people and uh, physically abled people oppress disabled people and Christians oppress non-Christians. And it goes on and on. And so Christians sometimes want to just appropriate the racial aspect and say, hey, can we just apply this as a tool to understand race? And we show you that critical theorists themselves will say, no, you can't. You must buy the entire package. You must also identify patriarchy and heterosexism and cisgenderism and, the, all of, and Christian hegemony. These are all various oppressions that we must overturn simultaneously. Hmm. You can't pick out one or two things you like. And, and a critical theorist, we quote them extensively, say that's not how our system works. We're talking with author and researcher Dr. Neil Shenvey about the book Critical Dilemma. You can pick up a copy by contacting our ministry at 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or by visiting us online at swrc.com. This book is hardback bound. It's over 500 pages in length. Dr. Daniel Aiken, president of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, said, Encyclopedic, exhaustive, excellent, essential. And one author that we have had on Watchmen on the Wall before, Elisa Childers, said in the past few years we've experienced a cultural upheaval surrounding issues of race, sexuality, gender, identity politics, and social justice. I urge everyone to read Critical Dilemma, a thorough, well-documented, fair, and truthful resource that will likely become the go-to primer for understanding the infusion of critical theory into Western society. So once again, you can pick up a copy of this fascinating book and essential book by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 by visiting us online at swrc.com. Dr. Shenvey, you also write that real social justices exist. How would you define biblical justice? I think the idea that justice is giving to each person his due is a good basic definition. And the question is, well, what is due each person? We start with God. God is due everything. God is due 
all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we love him and obey him. And then God has also commanded us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Basic principles of what God demands of human beings to be considered just and righteous. But all of our moral obligations flow out of God's commands. And that's biblical justice. You know, if, if I break God's commands, I'm being unjust. If I'm obeying God's commands, that's justice. Well, critical theory is redefined justice to refer primarily Justice refers to the, the way that we can overturn that social binary. So they would view things like the gender binary as injustice, to dismantle the gender binary of male and female, and that to, to not do that is injustice. We have to normalize same-sex marriage because marriage itself is cis-heteropatriarchal. It promotes the agenda of white males, and so therefore we should get rid of traditional marriage. That's how we achieve social justice. So you can see their, def- their redefinition of the word justice has a tremendous impact on how you view everything in society. And whereas we would just say, hey, if you want to define justice, you have to appeal to God's standard for us. And you also write that racial progress has been made in the last 50 years. What are some signposts, some markers, uh, some proofs that cause you to, to say that, yes, we are making progress in that direction? I mean, you can look at like all kinds of statistics. I mean, obviously, just legally, you can see how the various civil rights acts, and going all the way back to the 13th and 14th Amendments, have led to the enfranchisement of, say, blacks and, and other non-white groups in the U.S. It's great. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy Indian myself. I'm glad my dad came here and got his citizenship, and you know that I, I, I love our country. But you can see how, again, there used to be laws on the books that would prevent blacks from voting, that would make it harder for blacks to vote, that would allow discriminatory policies, and laws like Jim Crow laws that were on the books. Well, those are gone now, um, almost entirely. And there are examples of institutional racism. I mean, there, every year there are lawsuits that are won on behalf of people who say I was discriminated against because of my race at my job, at my workplace. Not just blacks, by the way, whites and Asians and Hispanics have all won lawsuits against companies that exist still. But if you look at where we are today as a culture and how commonplace that kind of discrimination is, it's gotten much less. You can see non-white progress in things like doctoral degrees awarded, average household income, things like that. They have gone up tremendously, obviously, in the last 100, 150 years. So I think you can't deny that racial progress has been made. Are, are we done? No, I don't think so. Racism does still exist. We document that, too, in our book. We should be so grateful that God has answered the prayers of his people who pled for centuries to get rid of the scourge of slavery, uh, Jim Crow, to, uh, to create real harmony between brothers and sisters in Christ of all races. And we should be grateful for that. And to deny that we have made progress is to really not, not to honor God's grace towards us as a nation. Another question related to that is, so why do the critical race theory proponents then suggest that racism is endemic in our culture? Yeah, good question. So the, the first most basic tenet of critical race theory is the idea that racism is normal, permanent, and pervasive. It's, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It undergirds all kinds of social phenomenon. It's active in almost every social situation. And why do they think that? Well, this goes to their second core idea as critical race theorists, which is that racism is hidden beneath ideas like colorblindness, meritocracy, 
objectivity and neutrality. So we often appeal to the colorblindness to say, hey, we shouldn't we should judge people not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. Whereas critical race theorists think that colorblind ideology itself is a way for the white ruling class to disguise the presence of racism. In other words, institutions and organizations will use an excuse, oh, we're only hiring based on merit to justify these different outcomes for blacks and whites and Asians and Hispanics. So they basically will say that any racial disparity is evidence of racial discrimination. So they don't look at procedures and say, well, are you treating people equally? They're saying if the outcomes differ, then they are created by racism. They Mm. redefine the word racism, and that's why they see it everywhere, because they don't limit racism to racial animus or prejudice. They see it almost primarily as systemic and structural in that it produces disparate outcomes. That's the mark of racism. And I see what you're talking about across multidisciplinary fields of study. There seems to be a redefining of a lot of terminology in our world today, and even some people are using that exact language that we need to redefine these terms, and so we need to approach these things with caution, I feel like. So what are some of the primary points that you hope that readers will take away from reading your book, Critical Dilemma? One thing I hope they do is learn the jargon. Like you said, there's a lot of terminology that critical social theorists have introduced into popular parlance. So words like, I mean, racism, it's a common word, but they've redefined it successfully. So now people talk about racism not to mean racial prejudice, which is how the dictionaries have defined it traditionally, but to refer also to these systems, these hidden, insidious, invisible systems that you can't detect easily, but that produce racial disparities. And that itself is racism. Or they'll say things like this, racism is prejudice plus power, and therefore people of color, by definition, can't be racist because they don't have institutional power. So you'll hear those things and you'll say, that's odd. I thought anybody could do racism is a sin, right? If racism is a sin, well, anybody can commit sin. We're all all sinners. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. But they've redefined the word racism. Mm. And other examples like gender. Gender is bifurcated from sex. Sex refers to biology, but gender refers to essentially your self-identity as a male or female. So you get people that are, you know, the terminology is transgender, that they are biologically male, but they identify as female, and you'll see statements like, trans women are women. What they're mm. saying is biological men who identify as women are women. Because again, they've redefined the word gender to refer to the category, the social category, and I can choose what category I want to be grouped into. Mm. Uh, words like uh, oppression. Oppression has been redefined to refer not just to tyranny, cruelty, and control, that's what oppression used to mean, But now it primarily refers to the way in which ruling classes like whites, men, heterosexuals, and Christians, they impose their values on culture to justify their own dominance. And so therefore, that's why people can say, well, I'm a woman, therefore I'm oppressed. Walk around actually being cruelly treated by men. I mean, some some do, right? Mm -hmm. But most women say, "I, I don't feel that. Or, you know, a black person might say, I don't walk around feeling oppressed all the time. I have a I live, I live in a really nice house in a nice neighborhood. I mean, no one's oppressing me. Well, they've redefined the word to refer to all of these various subtle ways in which blacks are devalued in their mind with respect to whites. 
you have to really understand how all of these very common words we redefine. Our book helps you understand that. Well, we're looking forward to continuing this discussion tomorrow on these very important topics. I know the book has a move towards solving some of these issues and talking about how can the church respond in this moment in such a way that people will listen and people will hear and we can become ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to these areas of influence. And so we're going to talk about that on tomorrow's program. Dr. Shenvey, thank you so much for joining me on today. I look forward to continuing our discussion tomorrow. Thank you. We have more details on the critical dilemma facing the church coming up on our next program. Today, we are featuring the book, Critical Dilemma. In Critical Dilemma, authors Neil Shinvey and Pat Sawyer illuminate the origins and influences of contemporary critical theory, considering it in the light of clear reason and biblical orthodoxy, while acknowledging that it can provide some legitimate insights regarding race, class, and gender. Critical Dilemma exposes the false assumptions at the heart of critical theory, arguing that it poses a serious threat to both the church and society at large. Drawing on exhaustive research and careful analysis, Shinvi and Sawyer condemn racism, urge Christians to seek justice, and offer a path forward for racial healing and unity while also opposing critical theory's manifold errors. Order your copy of Critical Dilemma today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Staying informed with news and current events in light of Scripture is vital. Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney are here, ready to share with us the latest headlines from the end times. I thought this was interesting. Nearly 2,000 migrants being housed in a tent shelter in New York City are being transferred to a nearby high school, James Madison High School. This forces the students to change to remote learning at home. It certainly raises so many questions. What if the students don't have internet at home? What if the parents have to work or change their routine for this? Didn't we learn that remote learning during COVID was a disaster? Doesn't this sound like the migrants' needs are more important than the needs of our own students, American students? What's going on? Well, it sounds like they're going to ruin the school. 2,000 people that need to sleep and use the restroom and all the logistics to go in to move all those people? Who pays for the buses to move them? Who pays for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Let's not forget that the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, recently said that, quote, Migrants were going to destroy the city, close quotes. This decision did not sit well with James Madison parents who rallied outside the school Wednesday, lambasting administrators for putting migrants ahead of their children. Our school should not be used as a place for learning. Our kids are supposed to be here, feeling safe, and to be able to learn, one parent said at the rally. I certainly feel sympathy for the people of New York City. The leaders there declared New York City a sanctuary city. Now that thousands of migrants are moving there, the leaders are feeling the wrath of the people who elected them. It's about time. We need to wake up. But I don't think it's too late. Let's do something. Let's get down and do what we need to do. Some parents claim they were never notified of the move. 
and were even more outraged to learn that this forced their kids to attend school remotely. Numerous hate calls and even a bomb threat were made to the school Wednesday morning. People are sick and tired of how our country is being invaded and destroyed. I say, Marvin, what's worse than 9 million illegal immigrants coming across the border? I give up. What's worse? 9 million illegal immigrants with no driver's license and no insurance and driving like there's no tomorrow. A New York Democrat says taxpayers deserve answers after she captured and shared unbelievable video of cars belonging to migrants being towed outside a Brooklyn shelter. It seems like they're having more resources than the average American, so we deserve answers, said Assemblywoman Jamie Williams. Miss Williams went on to say, quote, As soon as the tow trucks arrived on the scene, we saw the migrants running out of the tents, saying that it was their vehicles that belonged to them. Actually, one of the migrants had a title in his hand. That was just really concerning. Where did they get these vehicles from? Close quotes. That's a good question, Miss Williams. Who is paying for the destruction of our country? As a matter of fact, Miss Williams was asked that, have you gotten any answers as to where these migrants get these vehicles in the first place? She replied, we have not gotten any responses from anyone whatsoever. This morning, we will be working on that, but as of right now, nothing. In a related story, migrants staying at a pair of Staten Island shelters have turned the neighborhood into a demolition derby with reckless, unlicensed drivers behind the wheels of unregistered cars. Residents on Victory Boulevard were awakened suddenly at 4.30 a.m. Sunday when an unlicensed driver of a car without plates slammed into a parked car, launching it into one parked in front of it, totaling both. Oh, it's like the Wild West, said resident John Aspinall. The situation has escalated here, Aspinall said. Migrants are barbecuing in the woods next to our playgrounds, but the biggest thing now is these vehicles. It was also reported that groups of migrants were going house to house asking for money. I guess Mayor Adams was correct when he said migrants were destroying the city. I lived in New York State in the area of Staten Island, and even though it was a mixed ethnicity, we never had this kind of trouble. What's going on? Well, I know what's going on. Our rotten government. Our government is totally irresponsible. Why all the favors granted by the government to immigrants? I'll tell you why. There's only one answer that makes sense. Our government hates Americans. That's right, you and me. People who pay taxes, people who build houses, people who go to school and serve the people. Our government hates us. How does that feel? We need to wake up. Our first event of the new year is exactly one month away, February 16th and 17th in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Tickets for this special event are free, but seating is limited. Don't be left behind. Register today, Friday and Saturday, February 16th and 17th at Hicks Road Baptist Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 for more information or visit the events page at swrc.com. In Critical Dilemma, authors Neil Shinvey and Pat Sawyer illuminate the origins and influences of contemporary critical theory, considering it in the light of clear reason and biblical orthodoxy. Order your copy of Critical Dilemma today when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, more insight into critical theory and its impact with author Neil Shinvey. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.